Okay, please be seated. All right, as uh, the ushers received the offering, um, I asked our, our, my son, Wilson Cochran, to give the message uh, today, and he's got a great message for us, so give him your attention. Good morning, everyone. I expect your attention. Just kidding. So during the first service, when we were doing the declaration, my mom was on my left, or my wife was on my left, and my mom was on my right. And as we're going through the declaration, I hear in one ear, I am a freeborn daughter, and I hear in the other ear, I'm a freeborn son. So I'm not sure which one of you guys messed that up, but you're both daughters. My mom and my wife are both daughters. Cool. Well, I'm excited to give the message this morning. And before I jump into it, well, actually, Amanda does an awesome job with announcements. Where's she at? I don't know where she is, but yeah, she is awesome, doesn't she? But I actually had another announcement, and it's for you. It's right on the le- end of the row. Yeah. What, what's your name, man? Sam. Sam? Hey, I just felt like God was just saying to me that you're a real athlete and you love to play soccer. Does that make any sense? Football? Cool. Well, I also just felt like God was saying to me that he has put this compassion in your heart and it's his compassion and that it's been growing and that you really have a compassionate heart and not to doubt your like, uh, sympathy for others and your just natural love for even like strangers and stuff like that. Do you have younger siblings? One, yeah, I just felt like you just saying you're really, you really place that compassion on that younger sibling and love them really well. Now, be honest with me. Does that make any sense? Okay, cool. Well, I'll take that. Thanks for being honest. I actually had another announcement for Tom. Yep. I felt like God said that you've been looking at the time a lot lately and you've been feeling anxious about time. I feel like he just wanted to give you a piece that um, there's an abundance of time for things you're doing and not to feel like pressed for time. Does that make any sense? Don't be nice to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sounds like kind of (laughs) not. Thanks for being honest. Cool. Well, who has pain in their hands? Does anyone in the room have pain in their hands? Just stand up. If you have pain in your hands, like joint pain in your hands. It's also much. Okay, cool. Could somebody just lay a hand on each of those people? We're going to pray for them real quick. You got a guy over here, Chris, that needs a hand on him. Cool. So just repeat after me. Jesus, I thank you for healing power. I thank you that pain in their hand is not your will for their life. I bless them and I command all pain to leave their hand right now in Jesus' name. All pain, I command you to leave. Get out by the authority of Jesus Christ and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Also, now please stay standing. Assume your pain was a 10. Let's just say your pain was a 10 before. If it has changed at all, what number would you put on it? And don't be nice. Still a 10 or has it changed? Still the same. Thank you for being honest. Still a 10 or has it changed at all? Okay, that's cool. Who else? How's yours, Pam? 
Stay up, Marcus. Stay up, Chris, please. What was it? So it went down some. Awesome. Come on. A seven? Cool. We're going to pray again. So just put your hand back on those people. You know that there's a blind person that Jesus prayed for, and the first time he prays for them, the guy says, Jesus asked him, how's your sight? And he says, I can see, but it's like men look like trees. And then Jesus prayed again, and his sight was totally restored. So we should never hesitate to pray more than once. We should pray over and over and over because it's God's will for people to be healed. So Jesus, I thank you for healing power. Right now, I bind any spirits that are involved in this pain. Get out of the body. You have no authority here. All pain, I command you to leave. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory. Amen. All right, I'm just going to check one more time. How, where are you at, Pam? You were a six before, right? Check it out. Still a six? Or, or different? It's just, it's than it cool. If you had to put a number on it, just say it's like a... Okay, thanks. You can sit down if you want. What, how's yours? Still a seven? What's that? Five? Awesome. Come on. How about you, Marcus? Any change? You were a nine before. It doesn't hurt right now. Come on. Praise God. That's awesome. We just blessed that. Permanent. That's going to be permanent. Chris, be honest with me. How are you feeling, man? It's going down some. Come on. Awesome. So you guys can all sit down. Thank you for standing up and being willing to be kind of picked on a little bit in a good way. Um, I'd encourage you, if you just got some prayer, to come down at the front and get prayer more at the end of the service because God wants to keep, he, he wants to keep healing you. So keep Come on down, Frank, get more prayer. Cool. The reason I just did this was because we're, the reason I just gave a couple words and wanted to pray for some people is because we're offering the class, Amanda talked about it, called Doing the Stuff. And this class is based around praying for the sick and learning how to pray for the sick the way Jesus prayed. You know, I've heard a lot of people pray for the sick and rarely, sadly, do I hear people pray the way Jesus prayed, how he says, how he prays in the Bible. And you know, if we want to have the results Jesus had, we should probably do it the same way he did. We don't want to pray differently than how Jesus prayed, right? Like, that's just silly. We should read the Bible, okay. And a lot of his prayers are really short. Get up, <laughs> rise, stretch out your hand. So this class is really all about learning to minister like how Jesus ministered. I'd really encourage you to sign up for it. This is like basics 101 of being a Christian is praying for the sick. That was like the basic commission to the apostles was heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. So, and this is it's just part and partial of the gospel message. I'm uh, Dave King, our executive pastor. He's the one who teaches it. I, I'm going to be helping him run it this, this time. But so I'd encourage you sign up for that. It's an awesome class. Really love to see you there. I'd love to see like 50 people sign up and then see how that changes Cincinnati by in our different jobs, our different places of work and in our schools, people getting healed all over the place. How cool would that be? That's a great testament to Christians, isn't it? That, hey, this Christian asked me if they could pray for me. And after they prayed, all my pain left. Like, how awesome was that? And then even on the other side, this Christian prayed for me and nothing changed, but they actually cared. They wanted to like help me in my present circumstance. That's a good, that's a good reputation for Christians. So I encourage you guys to reinforce that. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I'm just trying to grow in it. So 
Cool. Well, you know, it's really fun to do this. It's fun to pray for the sick and it's fun, it's fun to give prophetic words. And the reason is because we're being like Jesus when we do that. We're being most ourselves when we act the way Jesus acted. You know that? There's no more true you than the Jesus in you. When, G- when the Holy Spirit came and filled you and Jesus came to live in you, he said, hey, step aside. I'm going to represent you now. Jesus, there's more Jesus in you than there is you in you. I want to I show myself to people. Okay? That's the point of getting saved and born again is so that Jesus can start to flow through you. Not our weaknesses and our flaws, but so that Jesus can come and show himself. And I've come to learn that Satan hates it when we act like Jesus. You know that? Satan really doesn't like it when we act like Jesus. Who wants to be hated by Satan? I want to be on his most wanted list, okay? I want to be on the front, front line going after the kingdom of darkness, destroying it, and winning the victory that Christ paid for. Christ died for so much more than we live in, than we walk in, than we understand. And we need to, when we act like him, we claim more of his victory for him. It's like at the cross was, was D-Day, where, you know, historians say that D-Day is when World War II was really won. Like from then on, the tide was totally shifted. The allies were going to win. But you know that the, the war lasted like another year, or I mean, I'm not exactly sure how long, and lots of more people died. It's because the battle was won there, but the troops had to go out and finish it. The battle was won at the cross. Jesus said, I win. Spoiler, I win. And now I'm sending out, I'm putting the Holy Spirit in all of my children. They're going to go do the same things I did to reinforce and establish my victory all over the earth, all over the earth, everywhere. And it's just fun to do it, man. Like it's good to do the things Jesus did. So like I said, Satan hates it when we act like God. Okay, pause one more time. Jesus came not so much to get us to go to heaven, but to get heaven into us. He wants us to walk around as an as a open heaven to people so that we can bring God's will here to earth and show them what the will of God, what the reign of God, what the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. And Satan hates it when we act like that. But you know what I think he hates even more? When we think like God. Satan hates it when we think about ourselves the way God thinks about us. He hates it when we think about others the way that God thinks about others. And we have to rewire our thinking and and submit to what the Bible says about us instead of our experience. Because all too often we live by emotion and experience rather than the word of God and the truth of even like prophetic words, what God speaks to you in those moments. That needs to be your reality. That needs to be what you live up to. You know, that's like one of the big purposes of a prophetic word is to show you how God looks at you and what he thinks of you and to show you how you can live. So to kind of preface the rest of my message, I want to look at this passage in Colossians. Um, The real kind of driving force of my message today is that when you get born again, you no longer have a sin nature. You become a saint. You become righteous. And that sin is no longer the norm for you, but you can live a life bent towards good. At your core, you are changed. You are no longer sin. Like at your core, the core of who you are is no longer sinful when you get born again because you're you're changed. You're put into a new kingdom. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. He made him who knew no sin to become sin. That means all sin ever committed, Jesus took it on himself on the cross and he paid for it so that we wouldn't have to in this life. 
so that we could live as we could, when we accept him into our hearts, we could live righteous. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for God to be displeased with his own righteousness? No, right? Can he, like, that's the, that's going to take over everything. So it's impossible for God to be displeased with you when you're born again, because his righteousness is in you. Condemnation and guilt are not natural experiences for a Christian. Those are abnormal experiences. And I'm sorry if you're having more abnormal experiences than natural experiences. What I want to talk about today is getting back to natural experiences as a Christian. The normal way a Christian thinks. Which is not that they're a sinner, not that they've messed up. It's I'm righteous and I'm bent towards good. In Colossians 1, Paul says... For God, in all, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. We were once far away. We were born sinners. We were born with this sin nature. We were born as enemies of God on our, on our own terms. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We stand before the Father without a single fault. That's a truth we need to grab hold of. That is life, to know that that is our standing with God. I don't want to think that I'm anywhere with God that he doesn't say I am. And this is how he says you are. So if you believe something different, you need to change your thinking. Because you want to think the way that God thinks about you, not the way that the world tries to make us think or the way that even our own habits try and make us think. We want to think about ourselves the way God thinks about us. And this is how you overcome sin is by believing the truth about who you really are as a righteous, as a righteous person, not believing that you're a sinner and you have a sin nature. When you're focused on your sin nature, you're always going to be focused on not doing something. When you're focused and believing that you are, well, you don't have a sin nature, but when you believe that, when you're focused on that, you're always going to be, you're always going to be um, consumed with that. That is always where your mind is going to go instead of God's righteousness. You know, repentance is less about turning away and it's more about turning towards. Repentance isn't as much about turning away from sin as it is towards turning towards Jesus, turning towards the person of Jesus and stepping into who you really are. It's not like the sin stuff is not who you are. Being patient, like so if, for instance, you're like angry, you you have a hair trigger and anger is a problem for you. That's not who you are you need to step and look towards patience. So when you get angry, your prayer shouldn't look like, God, please forgive me for being angry. I just can't help it. Like, please forgive me for that. Da, 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 da. Like, just change me, blah, blah, blah. God's saying, hey, I did change you. Jesus died for this. How about you don't even bring it up anymore? Because I don't look at your sin. In Hebrews, it says, he will see our sins no more. In Hebrews eight twelve it says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Why are we bringing our sins up? (laughs) Why are we bringing that stuff up and focusing on that when that's not even what God focuses on? That's kind of like trampling on the cross a little bit. 
Because Jesus died to pay for that stuff so that we wouldn't have to be focused on it and ruled by it anymore. Not so that we could live a life constantly battling it. Our life is meant to be victorious towards righteousness. Our, our time should be more consumed with praying for the sick, loving one another, taking care of orphans and widows than it is fighting our sin habits. And that's all they are. They're habits. They're not part of our nature. So just finishing up that repentance thought, it doesn't look like, God, please forgive me for all these things. It looks at, thank you that you've forgiven me. And now I want to live in that. So God, I ask you to give me another chance to demonstrate patience. I wasn't being patient in this situation, but I want to be patient. So give me a new opportunity to be patient. You see how that's focusing on what you should do rather than focusing on what you shouldn't do? Whenever you focus on what you shouldn't do, you usually do that again. Paul talks about this a lot, about being under the law. He says, if, when, you're not, when you treat yourself as under the law, you're always going to be focused on it. He talks about this a lot in Romans 3. I'm not going to go there right now. But, so really, yeah, the heart of my message is that to live a life not dominated by sin, we need to understand that we are righteous. We need to understand that at a core level, we have been changed and that we are the righteousness of God when you're born again. The word righteous, what, it really, what it's really getting at is as you ought to be. It's, it's, it's about being who you really are supposed to be. My dad loves to garden. And he loves, like a, a memory I really, I never got to meet my dad's dad. My, so my grandpa. But there's a lot of things about him that like, I've like, aspired to take after because I've heard so many stories. For instance, he was a big time baseball and softball player. And so all growing up and still today, like I have this just deep love for baseball and it really is generated with, because my grandpa is like that. My grandpa also, a memory my dad has told me a lot is that he remembers gardening with his dad um, in Pennsylvania in the summers. And at the end of the day, his dad picking out a tomato off the vine and just eating it just right there like an apple. And so my dad has a real love for like tomato plants and like gardening and planting and stuff. And last week, he bought some tomato plants to plant in our garden. And he set them, so like, say this is our porch. He set them over here against the wall. And over here is like the screen. This is where the sunlight is. He sets them over here, and they're all straight up, just like a normal tomato plant, just face straight up. And after, he puts them there in the evening. And after about two days, he comes back out. And every single one of the plants was facing the sun. Every single one of the plants had literally grown in tilted towards the sunlight because the sun was coming in from this side. It was natural for them to turn towards the sun because that's who they are. It wasn't like some thing they had conjure up within themselves. Like, I don't even know what a tomato would sound like if it talked, but <laughs> sun, you know, like they didn't need to do that. <laughs> they weren't striving to face the sunlight. I think their voice would be more nasally, kind of like sun, but... Um, that was just natural for them to face the sunlight. In the same way, we are righteous. It is natural for us to face the sunlight. It is natural for us to be like Jesus. It's more natural for us to do the things Jesus did than to be worried about messing up and where we're falling short. We're righteous now, guys. We're, we can be focused on what Jesus did for us rather than on what we're doing. That's the gospel message is focus in on Jesus, not yourself. You are dead. You have died. In Colossians 3, he says, anyone who's united with Christ has died. You don't live anymore. Jesus lives in you. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. 
Does, does Christ, like Jesus never sinned. And you know that he never sinned, not because he was God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was a totally spirit-filled person. I doubted that last night, but my dad verified it. It's the truth. He lived a life free of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit in us. I'm not trying to say anything like there are some te- there's some teachings out there and it's not anything new but they're like you can't sin. That's obviously stupid. We mess up. But that shouldn't be our focus. You know like the we should set the bar high. The bar shouldn't be about not sinning. That shouldn't be where we're setting it. It's like try not try not to sin. Like don't sin. It should be set on being righteous. It's a scandalous message, man. In 1 John, this, this blows me away. Under, like reading this, it seriously challenges me. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But if anyone does sin. If anyone does sin. The, we shouldn't set the bar low. It shouldn't be expectant that we mess up and that we sin because that's not who we are. At a core nature, we have been changed. That's why. And, you know, the question goes through my mind when I talk about this, like, well, why do we still sin then? That's a whole nother message. But I will tell you that Adam and Eve, they were born not as sinners and they sinned. It's this thing called free will, you know, like we got to root out the lies we believe that, that mess up with the truth that we're righteous when we, so yeah. Okay. I was talking earlier about how Satan hates it when we think like God. Because of this, Satan is constantly accusing us and attacking our identity. He's constantly attacking our standing with God. We see this even in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, verse 3, Satan comes, you know, all the other, all the other messages I had to look at it in my Bible, but by now I have memorized, so. Um, he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 3, Satan comes and he's tempting Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. What I want to focus on here is again, that word, if you are the son of God, what's he doing? What's Satan doing here? He's attacking Jesus's standing with the father. He's insinuating that Jesus isn't who he thinks he is. And you know what? Jesus is hungry right now and he's fasting and he's trying to get down and say, if you're the son of God, do this. That's what he does to us. He tries to threaten us and say, you're not really a child of God. That's not the truth. That's not the reality for you. Like if you were, you wouldn't be messing up. Or if you were, this stuff wouldn't be going wrong in your life. No, we need to focus in on what the Bible says about us. And in John one, it says anyone who believed in him, he became, he gave the right to become children of God. We're his children. We don't need to doubt that. When you accepted Jesus in your life, you've been born again, you become his child. He's adopted you. In Romans 8, it says, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That's like double good. Not only do we receive God's spirit, but we're his children. (laughs) I'd be fine with either one. If I could just be his kid, that'd be great. Just give me a spirit. Man, you've blessed me beyond belief. But he's made us his child, his children, and given us his spirit. We should be overwhelmingly victorious against the kingdom of darkness in our life. It shouldn't be that, it shouldn't be something that we in our mind give power to. That's the real problem. It's we give it power. We empower it. 
Persecution will come. Struggle will come. Suffering will come. But we cannot empower that as God or as our fundamental flaws. If it's bad, it is not, it's not coming out of who you really are. Who you really are is righteous. So we see that he's really attacking his identity. He's trying to make him doubt his standing with God. Ridiculous. No, it's Jesus. But if he's going to do it to Jesus, you better believe he's going to attack us that way. If he attacks Jesus like that, he's going to come against you. And it's much easier to fend that stuff off if you're already established in truth. If you already know, no, I am righteous. Actually, it's kind of fun. When you're established in truth and you know that you're righteous and you know you're a son, then everything the enemy says to you, you can just flip. I learned this from a guy named Dan Muller. He says, anytime the enemy attacks you, when you're rooted in who you really are, you can just flip it and that's the truth. So like if Satan says, you're not going to make it, you're not going to make it, you're not going to make it, you must, you must be, you're, you're going to make it, I guess. <laughs> if he says, you're just a messed up sinner, or like, you know, you just have this anger issue. Well, you must not. Because the, the truth is not what Satan's saying. It's the opposite. We're established in righteousness. We're established in truth, knowing who we are. And again, that word righteous just means how we ought to be. It means we don't have a sin nature anymore. We're not driven by sin. Okay, I want to hit another example of this. I think it's, you know, it's really encouraging to look at Jesus's humanity and look at the things Jesus went through because he's our model. So it kind of like encourages my heart to see that Jesus went through the things that we go through. You know, he was tempted in every way we are tempted, it says. So he can identify with us. He can identify with where we're at. And oftentimes we dehumanize Jesus and that, robs the gospel of its power because then it's just something we watch. If Jesus wasn't fully man as well as fully God, you know, he was hundred percent God and hundred percent man. If that hundred percent man is gone, that part's gone, then he's somebody we applaud and we look to rather than someone we follow after. When we recognize that he did things through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can step into it. That's why he said same and greater works. Because he said, here, I'm going to give you the same source for all your miracles that I had. In Philippians, it says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That means that when he came to earth, he laid down all his superhero God powers and said, I'm just going to function through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. I can do nothing of my own will. Because he did what the Father was doing, what the Holy Spirit was doing. So, we see these people questioning Jesus' identity in um, John 8. And it's John 8, verse 25. They say, so they said to him, who are you? Again, they're questioning Jesus' identity. They're trying to make him prove who he is. Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, which is cool because Jesus doesn't judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Who are you? And he says, I declare to the world what I have heard from him. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, hey, I don't have any opinion about myself that God doesn't have. I refuse to define myself by anything that God doesn't say about me. All I'm telling you is what God has declared. We can't afford to have our own opinions about ourselves, guys. We can only afford to have Jesus's opinion about us, the Father's opinion of us. And we saw in Romans 8 that we are, we've received his spirit and we're adopted as children. Later on, he goes to say that we have been, we're co-heirs with Christ. 
We can't afford to think of ourselves as anything different than that. That needs, man, that's where we hone in on. That's where we focus. That's where we live from. That's the truth you're established in. And then I guarantee you, when you're established in that truth, the word, if anyone sins, will start to have a lot of meaning for you because you will live a life not dominated by sin. That if will start to really mean a lot because you're starting to experience that. Just to get really vulnerable and practical with you guys, for throughout my teenage years, I struggled with pornography a lot and everything that goes with that. And for a long time, I believed that that was natural and that, that was just who I was. You know, it's just, that's just part of being a guy or, you know, this is just a struggle. And you know what? That's a lie. <laughs> that's honestly a lie that church will even say sometimes. And that's full on a lie. Pornography, if you're righteous, is pornography a struggle for you? Is that natural for you? Of course not. That's how I beat it. I haven't, you know, indulged in anything like that for three years. And it's because I recognized I am righteous. This is not natural for me. This is not the norm for me. This isn't the, this isn't just a normal thing. You know, this is the opposite of who I am. This doesn't have dominion over me. When we say we have a sin nature, we, we say sin has dominion over me, that sin has control of us. When that's the opposite of the gospel. Let's look at Romans 6. Again, did I look at that yet? Did we read that? In Romans 6, I don't think I went over that yet. In Romans 6, verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Come on, the body of sin is brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Come on, Jesus, we're set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Skipping down to verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under the law. You are, sin has no dominion over you. You are under grace. Being under the law means that you're focused on the law. Being under the law is like defining yourself by what you do rather than who you are. Being under grace is defining yourself by what Jesus did rather than by what you do. That's what being under grace means. I choose to be defined by the grace of Jesus and nothing else. I choose not to be... Man, for me, a real practical example is I have realized that I get a lot of self-confidence out of my actions. For instance, a couple months ago, I preached and I think I did a pretty bad job and I kind of like ran off the stage and I felt like no self-confidence after that. I felt like bad. <laughs> like if you'd been with me that night, you could ask my parents or Jen like bad. I was feeling very bad. Well, last night, I think I did, I, I felt like I did a really good job and I felt very confident about it. And I was standing right here worshiping and I was just like, man, this is good. I feel confident. And I feel like God said to me, hey, why do you feel confident? It's like, because I did good. And he was like, well, then you're going to lose that confidence when you don't do good. So how about you put your confidence in me and my grace and what I've done for you. And then your confidence doesn't have to fluctuate. Because I don't know if you're sick of your confidence fluctuating, Wilson, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of sick of that. <laughs> I'm kind of over... I'm over your confidence, not just being in me and being, and being strong and high. When we put our confidence in God and in his grace, it can't fluctuate. It can't fluctuate. In 2 Timothy, 
Paul writes to him and he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ. Through the grace. You know that we can be strong through other things? We can draw our strength from other things besides God's grace. And those things can go away. Those things might not last. (laughs) But Jesus' grace does never run out. When you put your strength in his grace, then it's endless. It never runs out. I'm going to wrap this up by talking a little more really quick about how Satan is attacking Jesus in the desert. I'm looking through my Bible and I just bragged to you guys about how I didn't need to. So in Luke 4, he says, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. That second part, command this stone to become bread. What's he doing? He's trying to put Jesus, he's trying to make Jesus prove who he is by doing something. This is a common way that the enemy attacks us. He tries to make us put our value in things we do, in activities, in quiet times, in praying for people, in being nice. But you know what? When we put it in that, then when we don't do those things, all of our identity just gets ripped out from under us and we feel like crap. We feel like we're messed up. But Jesus doesn't fall into that trap. You know, Jesus could have done that. He could have made the stone become bread probably. But he didn't because that was a Satan's trap for him. Satan wanted him to do something to prove who he was. That's the orphan spirit. You know, we don't have an orphan spirit because we received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That means that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to do things to earn God's favor and his love. You just need to receive his love for you and live out of his love. When you live out of his love, you'll do way more good for the kingdom than when you live towards his love or for his love. Because we're human beings, not human doings. We are meant to live from who we are, from righteous people, not from trying to perform actions and trying to do activities to make him happy. And again, that's something that I fall into. A big place that that hits me is with praying for people. Sometimes I'll feel like if I don't pray for enough people, then man, God's not really happy with me. Or some weird stupid lie in there. Like I would never actually say it like that, but that's at the root of it. That's what I'm experiencing and feeling is like God's pleasure somehow changed because I'm not doing activities for him. He is just as happy with you. Okay. This is scandalous. Get ready. Hold on to your seat. Jesus loves you just as much when you're sinning as when you're not sinning because he said he would see our sin no more. He said he would keep no account of our wrongs. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it says, love keeps no account of a wrong suffered. If if God's telling us to live like that, of course he's going to live to that standard. Of course he's going to live up to that too and not keep account of our wrongs. He will remember our sins no more. Never again remember their sins. Okay, so I have a $20 bill in my hand. Who would like this $20 bill? Who would like it? Who doesn't? Who do, well, at first, actually, here's a better question because I've gotten some weird responses. Who doesn't want this? Okay, you're weird. Who wants this $20 bill? I love you, Marianne. So who wants it? Really, raise your hand if you would like this $20 bill. Okay. Who wants this $20 bill? I think more hands went up that time. You know why? Because... What I do to this $20 bill doesn't determine its value. What I do to this $20 bill doesn't determine its worth or even even this, how much you want it. 
What we do cannot change how much, how much God wants us. And you know that it's illegal to change, to change, a, like, to change currency? The U.S. Department of Treasury has determined that this is a $20 bill, and no matter what we do to it, even if I tried to write on it, it wouldn't change. In the same way, you cannot change who you are by your actions. Jesus determined who you are. The, the cross is the measuring stick of your worth and your value, not your actions. When we believe that, we can live from that place. I just spit a lot. When we, <laughs> when we believe that and we're found in that, we can live from there. And that's a much better place to live from. That opens up love. That opens up love. When we recognize that we're righteous, it helps us love God more because we see who we really are. So I love you guys. And I'm going to kind of wrap it up there. Welcome the worship team to come back up. We are, um, something I want to say before communion. You know, a thought occurred to me. There's a lot of people in this room that want to worship at the front that don't do it. There's a lot of people that think that would probably be neat. And at your core, you actually, you actually want to. But there's different things that kind of impede us from doing that. I just want to release you to do what you want to do. If you want to come worship in the front of the room, then you should do that. You know, you should go with your heart. And there's nothing like sacred about it, but it's setting our focus on God when we, when we come to the front. So that was just an encouragement I wanted to give. Like, if you worship in the back, I love you and you're worshiping great. And there's, it's not like better to worship in the front. But if you want to come worship in the front, don't not do it. Do what you want to do. Come worship up here. So yeah, I want to release the communion folk to their stations. We're going to be doing communion during the first song. And it's cool because really what I'm trying to preach about today is that we aren't defined by what we do. We're defined by Jesus' blood and Jesus' sacrifice for us. So I think this is an awesome time to take communion with that in our mind, that as I dip this cracker into the juice, I'm saying, I choose to live as Christ and I choose to define myself by his blood and his sacrifice and no longer by who I, who I am. There's probably some people in this room that this was like a big kind of like concept for you that we don't have a sin nature anymore. And I'd encourage you, if you're ready, as you dip that, as you dip that cracker into the juice to say, hey, I recognize that I don't have a sin nature anymore. I recognize I am righteous. And to begin to live from who you really are. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll get into worship. So Papa God, we love you so much. You're an awesome father. We love you. I just release grace in the room. Just, just wisdom and revelation and truth would permeate our hearts about this stuff. Father, I ask that the words I said that were in line with you would sink in deep, would sink in deep. Anything I said that wasn't with your heart, I just ask we would just forget. But anything I said that was aligned with your heart, it would just sink in deep right now in Jesus' name. Just speak those words that are spirit and life into your heart and they would sink in and empower you. In Jesus' name.